John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Curtis. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, hello, my friend. This is another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. And uh, it's apparent that you and I are both on the road. As usual, that seems to be the story of our life, John. It's one of those things where we love aviation, but uh, we can't seem to stay home. So uh, it's always good to see you. And again, we're flying, uh, we're flying two ship without Todd today. And uh, he's probably out aviating somewhere on his own. So that's a good thing for him. So I'm sure we'll have some interesting stories when uh, when he returns. So, But uh, I think our show today, it's going to be kind of different because we're not going to just dissect one accident. You and I have been going through a bunch of just different accidents. You know, not only the things that we read in magazines and, and articles and other publications, but... Um, you know, looking through NTSB data, you know, going randomly through the monthly reports that the board puts out. And I mean, it, it is just amazing to me, John. It is astounding, really, of the events that are taking place with pilots that aren't even in the air <laughs> having problems whether it's, you know, before they're taken off or after they're landing. And it, it just floors me, John. It, it, it's just ridiculous that we're having all of these events that may not end up in the NTSB, you know, historical records, but the FAA sure knows about it. And of course, the insurance companies definitely know about it because these airplanes and helicopters are being damaged, you know, at least to the, the amount that a claim has to be filed. Yes, and there's a lot. And like you said, they're over and over and over. So I quickly went through a, a small list of maybe 35, 40 events and quickly found three where an airplane on landing took out taxi lights. <laughs> one of them, you know, two of them took out one light each. One of them took out three lights. And I mean, and that one, a wing, a wing. Well, that one, the guy hit those three taxi lights with a wing. I mean, again, okay, was he landing in a crosswind, 
And if so, it must have been one heck of a crosswind to get that airplane so far up on one wing and down on the other and then keep it on the ground or at least drag it on the ground. Taxi, what's the spacing of taxiway lights? I mean, you know. I don't know, but they must be 50 feet. At least. So now you're dragging a wingtip if it is 50 feet. If you're dragging a wingtip for 150 feet, what the heck is going on? I mean, you might need some instruction. And I'm, I didn't see if there was a flight instructor in that particular event. But if there was, then shame on him or her. Because if, if that student is tearing up three taxiway lights uh, with the with a wingtip, we got some serious problems. But just the fact that you have pilots that are landing and not maintaining directional control on land, taxi lights, um, or, or coming off of a runway. Those are close I mean, to action. Just, it, it makes, yeah. Uh, I, I just, I don't understand how, I mean, I, I know that it's cut corners sometimes a little uh, short and yeah they get into it light and things like that but again it, it is amazing to me that we're having all of these ground events where they're taking out lights i mean we have a yellow stripe <laughs> that's painted in the center of a taxiway we have a center line that's painted on a runway how difficult is it to keep the airplane in between the lights instead of while running them through the lights. Yep. Right. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, again, this goes back to, you know, we're always harping on training. I don't need training. I've got a private, I've got 800 hours. I've got a thousand hours. I got my own airplane. I don't need to go back to training. Well, you know what? I'll bet you dollars to donuts. These, these pilots, who, you know, were involved in these events at one time or another may have said that. All right. So I got another one involving very, very similar circumstances. I actually have three of these in one month where pilots would taxi in, either in or out, and taxied into a pole, two times into a pole, into an airplane that was parked two times. And actually, and I'm looking now, there's one I didn't write down, and that was where they taxied one wing underneath the other. So you damaged the top of one wing and the bottom of the other one. Well, you know, I again, it, it goes beyond the obvious because as an investigator, you and I are, are looking beyond the obvious. Yes. You got a guy who taxis and a guy being a generic term, it could have been a woman, could have been a man, doesn't matter. The fact is the pilot taxied the airplane and failed to maintain adequate distance from an obstruction, whether it's a pole or an airplane. The question is, why did they fail? Is it because their depth perception was bad? Is it because they were complacent and they taxied that same route a thousand times? They weren't really paying attention. They weren't really understanding their situational awareness. They were a little off the center line. Were they distracted talking to ATC? Were they distracted talking to a passenger? What was going on? Um, again, it's all about maintaining high, the highest levels of operational discipline 
as soon as that airplane starts moving, actually, as soon as that airplane, the engine starts running, you have to maintain that high level of operational discipline. I did a, a Piper Malibu that landed Apalachicola. The pilot was taxiing in. His girlfriend in the right seat was also a rated pilot. They saw a, uh, a uh, guy um, alignment on the ramp who held up his hands, just signaling, this is where I want you to park. He wasn't a marshaller. He just put his hands up to, to give the pilot an idea of where he should park. Well, you got two people in the cockpit who are both looking at this guy who's standing like a tree with his arms up, not doing anything other than just standing there. And while they're taxiing, they take off two feet of wing on that Malibu because they hit a light post that is wrapped you know, like a bee stinger, it's yellow and black. It was very obvious. And you got two people looking the wrong direction and nobody paying attention to the wing clearance of that light pole. And it's like, you look that way, I'll look this way and, you know, <laughs> taxi the airplane. You, you can't just get zoned in and, and have that very narrow focus. And, you know, these are the types of accidents that don't sound like much, but to the insurance company and then to the rest of us who have to pay for it through our policy um, because rates go up. Yes. Well, it gets better with these pilots. So I got I got two accidents, you know, two events uh, in which the airplanes started this. These are single engine airplanes started their engines with the tow bars attached. OK, both of them wiped out their props. John, I mean, you close our show every freaking week with pre-flight. How do you not see the tow bar still attached if you have done a thorough pre-flight? It's impossible. But, you know, last month when I looked at, at uh, a bunch of events like this, there was one, I, I didn't flag it, but there was one where a guy took off with the tow bar still attached. He actually got airborne with the tow bar attached. I, it just, how? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And and it's, it. Uh, I mean, you know, we make light of it a little bit, but it's it's sad. It is a sad statement that you have pilots, people that have earned the, <laughs> the privilege to fly and they don't honor that privilege with the highest levels of operational discipline. I mean, again, those, those events, it's, it's not like, okay, I missed a radio call, you know, cause I've missed radio calls too. I got tied up, you know, looking at an iPad for new weather or programming a new flight plan or whatever. Okay, I've missed a radio call. But something as egregious as leaving a tow bar in place after you pulled the airplane out of the hangar, because that's obviously what, what has happened. They pulled the airplane out of the hangar, dropped the tow bar instead of separating it. I mean, when I pulled mine out, you know, with my tow bar, I got it to the place I wanted it to be. If the ramp was level, the airplane wasn't going to move. If it was, you know, uh, downhill or uphill, I would chalk it. 
um, do what I needed to do, but I took that tow bar off and stowed it. That way, that was one item off my checklist so that I never thought or never knew or never, <laughs> never forgot that, oh, man, did I take that tow bar off? I already knew I took it off. Yeah, it's just by subscription sometimes. Uh, I think one of the things that I saw was guy took it off and the engine cowling came off. Oh, now, yes. There's a double whammy because you got probably maintenance involved and you also have a pilot involved with probably a shoddy pre-flight. And maybe he opened up the cowling and didn't close it properly. Or maybe I see a lot of latches that leave a lot to be desired on airplanes. So he may have had worn latches. He may have not latched it. But I think I saw the same one that you saw, but it went on. If you went to the end of that, uh, he was in flight when it came off. Apparently, he was so disturbed and shaken by that event that when he landed the airplane, he forgot to put the gear down. And again, I mean, one of the things about training is to take that surprise or startle factor out of the equation for that very reason, John. And again, it's all about maintaining operational discipline, not deviating from a checklist. Where was gums check? You know, gas, undercarriage, manable, pressure, whatever. Where was the check to make sure that the gear was down and locked? I mean, again, why deviate? Okay, you already had one event. You're still flying. You're coming back to an airport. Apparently, he was able to navigate his way back to the airport without issue. But why deviate? from that very structured, you know, operational discipline of running a checklist and ensuring that you got, you know, down three green. No, that's just, the other thing. I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of these single engine accidents, these guys use memory items for everything instead of a checklist. And you really not, you really need a checklist, especially yeah. when there's an emergency pending. Yeah, well, that show that we did, about the uh, the Piaggio, if you recall, um, you know that event with uh, the director of maintenance that eventually went to jail. But in that, one of the things that the board noted in that particular accident, because they got it off the cockpit voice recorder, and that was that that flight crew had failed to set the speed bugs, and so when they're blasting down the runway, the first officer noted that there weren't any speed bugs for calling, you know, rotation. He did it from memory from a previous flight. I mean, instead of just, you know, calling a halt to the whole show and let's try this again, they just went on with a bad situation. And fortunately, they were able to work through that bad situation. I remember, you know, with that first officer saying that, you know, again, oh, man, I don't see the speed bug. But I remember the last flight we rotated at 116. So let's just rotate at 116. Well, again, <laughs> that's all dependent on weight and, you know, field performance or airplane performance, field length, everything else. So, I mean, I just, I don't know, John, it's very frustrating, you know. Well, it's like, where... it's like five or 600,000 pilots. You got to have a percentage of them that are, that are got something wrong. You got 150,000 mechanics. I know we're going to have some mechanics that are screwed up. 
Yeah, I don't expect everybody to be perfect, and I sure as heck am not perfect. But the fact is, is that these little events that take place over and over and over again, it's a systemic problem amongst the population. And why aren't we learning the lessons from that? Why aren't we taking that extra five seconds to ensure, you know, that the latch is properly latched or the, the cam lock is properly locked? I mean, why, what, what's five seconds? What's 10 seconds? What's the use of a checklist, you know, instead of thinking that you know it in your head? I mean, it, it just makes no sense. Um, and again, all the things that we're talking about end up raising everyone's rates. Why? Because somebody's got to absorb the cost of somebody who just tore three feet of wing off their airplane because they had a light pole. Yeah, most people so, don't realize that in your car, you've got millions of cars that spread that load out. So even when you total a car and it's $20,000 or more, you're spreading out over a million other policies in aviation. Uh, you know, if you've got a Cessna 150, how many 150s are there? What, 10,000, 15,000? Yeah. And that's the pool. So if you pay out $100,000, that's $3 to everybody or $4 to everybody. Next time you renew your policy. So, yeah. Yep. So here we go again. And pre flight failures, right? Pre planning failures and not paying attention after you get off the ground. That's yeah. crazy. Well, we lost Greg. One of the hazards of being on the road. So, I'll just close out the show with my typical. If you're going to go flying, please, please do a good session of pre-planning. Do it at home before you leave or the hotel, wherever you are. When you get to the airport, do it again with the latest information. Go out to your airplane, do the best pre-flight you can do. And if there's any questions, get somebody that knows the airplane better than you to help you. You know, get a mechanic that's out there. And... After you get in the air, please, please put that head on a swivel. It's just too busy around airports today with a lot of new, new pilots. So put that head on a swivel and look around because we still have these mid-air collisions in and around airports. Not all of them are fatal. Not all of them even make the press, but they're happening. So please, please, please fly safely. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube... We're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that, and we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.